0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk live in the Washington, D.C. area Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: Interface complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford right University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ and we're another day on the coronavirus isolation I'm yep. calling from the bunker down here in Virginia <laughs> into the radio show <laughs> Uh-huh and we're having a really nice time and of course there's a lot of news as always I'll talk a little bit about the models
1: Yeah that you, you know, know that because they change every day really
2: yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll explain. You know, a model with a lot of parameters, you can get any answer you want. Mm-hmm. I'll explain. I used to do a lot of modeling and work myself, and you you can get any answer you want. It just depends on the assumptions. I'm going to go in and try to explain it in really simple terms. I even heard at a press conference they were talking about one of the parameters, R sub zero, R not, and the even the reporters were talking about R not and how that has an impact on us. So I'll talk about some of the models. And they're relatively simple mathematics, but it's the input parameters that make all the difference. Now, Apple and Google are partnering up to try to keep track of who you've been around just with your cell phone. Yeah, this so is that interesting. If, so that if somebody gets, um, you know, gets Corona, gets COVID-19, you simply notify that app and it will send a notification out an anonymous notification to everybody that you came in contact with by virtue of bluetooth connection it's mm-hmm. not a bad idea mm-hmm. but but for it to work everybody's going to have to download the app
1: that's the a big idea if, right
2: of, yeah the idea of the week is you know apple was so proud of their face recognition but now everybody's wearing a mask Right. How can you get right. face, face recognition with the mask?
1: I saw somebody so, joke the other day, where is the Apple face rec- recognition where it only needs the top half of your face?
2: Okay, I'm going to show you how to do that. Oh, There's okay. There's a trick, I, I, There's I a trick to get that, that, that would, done. Yeah, That's I should, the idea of the week, yeah. how, you, how you can get face recognition with, with a mask. Should have known and you're then, on, t- on it. And then my uh, I'm going to talk about the the website of the week. What is my browser? I mean, everybody's going around surfing the web, but the question is, are you? Do you have the latest version of the browser? Mm-hmm. Now I really keep track of my my browsers, but I'll tell you, I went last night. I went to whatismybrowser.com. I've got three browsers on my laptop. Two of them needed to be updated. So even somebody who really keeps track of it, like you, know, you. like me, you can you, you can fall behind. So that's uh, and then you can see it. It shows all the different things that people can detect about your computer from another location. And then, of course, the idea of the week, the smart toilet <laughs> with butt recognition. <laughs> this
1: might be the best product you've ever reviewed.
2: That's right. Butt and recognition. So, <laughs> this is, this is uh, you know, so that's the, you know, what's the opposite of facial recognition? Butt, butt recognition. recognition. But this has a real, has, real legitimate purpose. Yeah, <laughs> but, sure it does. And then if you've got a 3D printer at home, you can print some of the uh, Protective devices. You can print, you know, face shields and all. And there, and there, are companies that are sending out uh, materials and plans so you can use your three D printer to make some of these items that are in, in, uh, in short supply. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about one more thing. Have you ever heard oleophobic? Have you ever heard that word, Jim? I have not, none. You're afraid of
1: butter. Bu- butter is it? Is an
2: oleoph- oleo? It, oleo means oil. So like, ah, I was close. O- o- yeah, oleomargarine is basically butter made with vegetable oil. Right. So it's oleomargarine. It's oil margarine. And so oleophobic means that it, it repels oil. Mm-hmm. Did you know that ever since the iPhone 3S, they've put a layer on your screen which was oleophobic? I it did not know repel that. It oil. And— Sometimes that layer gets rubbed off, and we're going to talk about how you can restore your oleophobic Ooh. layer.
1: Like, would that get now rubbed that, off if you're using, uh, you know, some of the things we talked about that you shouldn't use to clean off the screen?
2: Yeah, we're well, going to talk about that. Okay. How you should clean, how you should clean the screen, right. and uh, how you can take care of your screen. What the recommended method is. But even after a year or so, the oleophobic layer does rub off, and you can restore it with with, with a simple little kit. Now, that's a word. I'd, I had to look that up. I had never really heard oleophobic. Well, I had before. a
1: a relative who had a um, a farm called Oleo Acres, the cheaper spread. You see where we're going there?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. Exactly. The place
1: is kind of a dump, I might add.
2: Now, and this week, we're going to feature Bill Wynn. Bill Nguyen. That's N G U Y E N. Bill yes. Nguyen. He's you Vietnamese. got the
1: pronunciation. Andrew and I were talking before the show. We know that mm-hmm. that's a very common Vietnamese last name, and we couldn't figure out how to pronounce it. But you, you nailed
2: it. Bill Nguyen. Yeah, yep. it's 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 almost Bill Nguyen, it's like Smith. Nguyen in Vietnam is almost like Smith. Yep. Yeah. Now his now his first name isn't Bill. Uh, his first name is Vu. Vu. Viu. Viu. But mm-hmm. it's not pronounced Vu. It's but Viu. Viu. Is pronounced and, the way it's but, spelled, Vu. That's right, Vu. <laughs> and, but it's uh, but he goes by Bill, and I'll I'll explain that story. Okay. This guy was a serial entrepreneur in, in Silicon Valley that that flamed out around 2012. I'm going to talk. About, I'm going to touch rise to fame, and then his flame out venture. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard much from him since 2012, 2013. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yeah, we got an email from Tom Shum. He's a a regular listener. Dear Richard and Jim. Richard? Richard, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you. Very, very formal, very formal. (laughs) It was very interesting to hear about Tom Reardon on today's show. This was April 4th. He sold his neuroscience company to Facebook, is now working on VR, virtual Mm -hmm. reality. Now, Tom said that's reminded him of an idea that he had for a visual imagination translator. He thought about it in the early 70s where he would use feedback from brain signals to develop an image. So you would sort of look at the um, look at an image and think about it and you would start drawing the image. And through, by just thinking about it, you could actually build an image. He was actually doing a little work on that, but he never actually developed it. But he says, you know, that made him think that maybe he should have pursued that a little bit. A little bit more vigorously back then. Well, Tom, you were ahead of your time. Great to have you as a listener. But all of these things which which are based on, you know, we're, we're trying to use neural network capabilities. It's all like machine learning. They're just trying to emulate what the brain does. It turns out biological systems really do have enormous uh, power and the biological systems, they actually work against system constraints. Like even though your neurons communicate with each other very slowly in the brain, because they're massively in parallel, you can actually think quickly. So the the brain architecture has overcome the speed of the hardware to achieve enormous results. So that's where we're getting that in, in machine learning. I remember back... Uh, And back in the day, when I was working on satellite imaging systems, we were coming up with new methods to do detection, and we used uh, biological equivalent. We used anat, you know, uh, we used uh, equivalents, biological equivalents. Uh, Like you could, if you look at um, how a frog, uh, you know, goes is able to detect the fly and then snap it up. You actually, even though it's got a very small brain, it can detect that food moving at a certain rate. And then you wonder, how can it do that? It's got actually matched filters in the eye that actually where it only sees food moving at a certain rate. So you can always use biological equivalents to achieve great things. And, uh, and I think we're we'll going to see more and more of that as we start emulating the human body, which is in, in all biological systems. Uh, thanks for that email, Tom. Yes. It brought back great memories. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Another, another uh, you know – uh, loyal listeners. Dear Stalwart, Doc, and of yes. course, Jim, and particularly the ever-present Mr. Big Voice. I loved your April 4th show. I caught reference to my hero, Freeman Dyson, and wondered if the Doc knew that that, that in, in the profiles, and uh, I wonder if Doc knew that, and uh, that that would be somebody that I would really like to have. Well, actually, I did think of you, Bob, because I know you like physics yeah. and physicists. And of course, Freeman Dyson was he's sort of a Renaissance guy. He was into a lot of things, and he recommended that the the guy that we pro- profiled last week recommended that he go back to school. This is this this was this Thomas Reardon go back to school and learn the basics. So we went back, back to Columbia, and he got he, he got a degree in general education, general literature, and he studied all the classics, and he became very much of a well-rounded person. And that was Freeman Dyson's recommendation. I mean, it's interesting, Thomas Reardon, when he, uh, they they asked him to come back to Columbia and give a speech, and so he quoted Seneca, who was a Roman philosopher back in the times of Rome, so he quoted Seneca in Latin, and the the quote that he gave was, uh, the question in life is, are you simply delaying death, or are you extending life? He said, that is the question, and that will determine everything. That's what he started his uh, thing from Columbia with. And so um, that um, was an interesting, interesting um, sidelight on on him. And this was all because of Freeman Dyson. But now this, getting back to Bob, Bob said, anyway, as soon as the show was over, I changed to another station and through the magic of radio, and all of a sudden I heard, Jim Russ is the traffic reporter. It's like Jim was in two places at once. And uh, it was magic. Must be a quantum effect. Love the show, Bob in Maryland. Time warp. Well, what happens okay. is we're live. Yeah, tell, tell me that story, Jim. I, that was a surprise to me, too. You
1: did? Oh, it was. Okay, so what yeah. ha- well, we're live. We're in different places for now yeah. because of what's going on. But uh, in order to help the, the the vendor who does the traffic on the other station— uh, I record some tidbits of things uh you know some construction related things or now there's a, a, an update on the 95 rest stops up in Maryland and Delaware so I record these little traffic tidbits that the traffic provider we use on the weekends can insert into their traffic reports to help them along the way so that's what he heard so I, I'm we're live here I, on the weekends I'm not live there <laughs> yeah does that make sense
2: yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that clarification, and, Jim. We got an email from Alice's Palace in Baltimore. Hmm. <laughs> I hear the paper rustling. Yeah. Yeah. I need the. Yeah, from Alice's Palace in Baltimore. Uh, somebody was opening the door and they didn't close it. That well, was my, that was getting a, that to was a, a problem later
1: on. There.
2: That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got from Alice's Palace in Baltimore. Yeah, I've, you know, I've never heard of Alice's Palace. We, you you I know, Tech Talk really famous, famous in Baltimore.
1: I hear it's a lovely place.
2: <laughs> Dear Doc and Jim, I recently happened upon your broadcast. I've been listening while sheltering in place at my compound in Baltimore. The current station has forced me to work from home. The current situation has forced me to work from home. I'm a violin teacher and I've been using Skype to conduct lessons with my students. I recently upgraded my computer to a new MacBook Air because my old laptop would not load the most recent version of Skype. Now here's the problem, I've got two Apple IDs. The MacBook automatically synced to the cloud and, and downloaded the older, more limited contact list from my old laptop. I'd really like to load the newer, updated list that's on my iPhone. Is it possible to synchronize to the cloud to accomplish this? Any suggestions you have would be greatly appreciated. P.S. uh Oh, Jim is Jim sounds cute. Is he single? I don't uh, know, Jim.
1: <laughs> I think you need to forward uh, Alice's email address to me.
2: Okay, I'll do that. For Alice's Palace in
1: Alice's Baltimore. dot com. Yes. Alice Palace Love Connection.
2: That must be. <laughs> now here's the thing. With we we. Um, You have got two Apple IDs. That means you've got two iCloud accounts, Alice. So you apparently on your Mac, you logged in with one email address for one iCloud account. And then when you got your iPhone, you had another email address. You created another iCloud account for your iPhone. So you have two iCloud accounts. And um, as soon as you log into the correct iCloud account, everything is going to be there. So you can actually, even though your Mac synchronized on the wrong iCloud account. You can easily change the change it to the other iCloud account. You simply um, go to the Apple menu, click on the Apple menu, then open System Preferences on your Mac, then click on iCloud. And then you'll type in the Apple ID that you want to see on your Mac. So that means you're gonna to have to know the Apple ID that's on your iPhone, and then you'll have to know the password. You click on the password, and you say sign in, and boom. The whole system will then sync to the correct iCloud account. It's normally better just to have one iCloud account. It's really confusing mm-hmm. to have more than one. So I just, well, I this, just deep six the old one.
1: I have a feeling this just happened over time. You know. Yeah. Not, not that I have any inside information here.
2: Yeah, I, I can see where that would happen. Where somebody would, but uh, what, like what would normally happen? They would have an iCloud account say on their Mac, and mm-hmm. then they get a new iPhone. And then they can't remember the password to, the, uh, to their old iCloud account. So then they just make up a new iCloud account with a new email address. And then they're, they're off to the races with two, two iCloud accounts. Okay. So uh, I think this is going to fix you fix up your situation. I like you have no trouble at all. Great. So apparently this is, this is a common problem people get on the, you know, they have to change the, what iCloud account they want to yeah. sync up to. We got an email from Tung in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim. I save all my family pictures and party pictures on thumb drives. I've got over a dozen thumb drives containing several thousand photos. One of my coworkers told me this is a bad idea. I do not want to lose the, the, these pictures on the thumb drive because, uh, because uh, you know, they're, they're, they're too valuable. But my co-worker said if I don't get them off the thumb drives and put them on something else, I'll lose them. Is that true? What's your, what's your opinion on this? Well, I've talked about this before, Tong. Your co-worker's right. USB flash drives come in handy for temporary, emphasize temporary, yes. storage. They make it easy to transfer photos from one computer to another. However, they, you really don't want to use them to store important files on a long-term basis. I mean, For one thing, they're unreliable. Their re- reliability is about four to five times worse than, say, um, other storage media. They're easy to misplace. Uh, they're easily corrupted. For instance, if you're copying a file to it and you pull it out too soon, you can you can corrupt it. They're quite fragile. If you drop it, you can step on it. You just it's gone. Mm-hmm. And you know you could lose it. It could fall out of your pocket. So you really need to get your critical files on at least two devices. Two Now, I'd recommend that you get a USB hard drive, uh, which, you know, it's, you, you're going to get one It's less than $100, probably get it for $70. Plug it into the USB port and copy all of your thumb drives to that USB hard drive. Then you'll have it all in one place. That Right off the bat, that's going to be more reliable. Then you need a second location for your pictures. Uh, y- you don't have a backup if you only have one place where they're being stored. So you could... Store them on CDs or DVDs if you've got if you've got a read write you could do that and that that storage lasts quite a while. Now what I do I just store them on the cloud. So I've got pictures on an external hard drive and then I've got cloud accounts and I just store them on the cloud. So I use cloud storage as well as an external hard drive storage for all my all my critical files and then you especially for pictures because you can't really replace them. So I'd recommend that you that you do that as soon as possible. We got an email from Ken in Reston. Dear Doc and Jim, I upgraded to Windows 7. I upgraded my Windows 7 computer to Windows 10 uh, shortly after 10 was released, and I didn't write down the license key. Then the hard drive on my new uh, laptop went bad, and I replaced it with a 500 gigabyte solid state drive. Now, the bad drive appears to be completely dead because it doesn't make any noise at all. Now, after I installed the new drive, I downloaded the Windows 10 file and put them on a CD. But I'll need a license to activate Windows 10. Is there any way I can retrieve the license key from the hard drive that's now that's now dead? Uh, because I think I need it to do this installation. Well, Ken, if your hard drive is truly dead, you'd have to send it off to Data Recovery Company and pay them to ret- retrieve the files. Now, the bad news is, that could cost you several hundred dollars, more than the cost of Windows. So I don't think it's worth doing it. Now, if you don't need to recover any files and all you really need is the license number, that's not gonna be a problem because Windows 10 will install without the license number. You see the new Windows 10, it actually associates itself with a particular computer. So it knows your computer signature and you can simply install Windows 10 on your PC, even though it has a new hard drive. It will recognize the hardware, and it will install without asking you for a license key. Now, you have to install the exact version of Windows that you have, whether you've got Home or Pro, etc. And if you're d- and downloading the same one that you paid for, boom, it'll go there without any problem at all. So this is much easier to install than Windows 7, where you have to put in the key. You don't need it for 10. I hope you don't need those files, uh, Ken, because it, it'll be expensive to get the get that recovered. We got an email from Lacey in San Francisco. Dear Doc and Jim, I heard that you could speed up your the internet by selecting a better DNS server. I don't even know what that means. But somebody told me about it. How can <laughs> I do it? <laughs> it sounds too good to be true. Enjoy the podcast, Lacey in San Francisco. Well, Lacey, um, DNS that's Domain Name System. DNS. So whenever you go to the internet, you actually have to have a um, a network address which is zeros and ones. It's called your IP address. Most people don't, and it's uh, and it could be anywhere from 32 bits long to 128 bits long, depending whether you're IPv4, or IPv6. Most people don't remember that. They'll just remember the name of the domain name, like Stratford.edu or WTOP.com. Those would be those would be domain names so what you do is you just type in say stratford.edu it sends stratford.edu to a server out in the internet and the server says oh the actual machine language address of stratford.edu is this and it sends back the binary the you know the, the the binary address and then you then you go straight to it so basically it's a lookup table so you don't have to remember these complicated machine addresses now what happens is that if that lookup is slow, uh, you you might have to wait around, and you know especially if uh, if you have a lot of uh, uh, you know, ads on your on your page that is that's trying to come up every time an ad goes out and you're waiting for the ad to come back, each ad has to go to a DNS server, domain name server, in order to download the content, and so it could slow things down. So and so you. You can, if you have a slow DNS, if your if your image, uh, internet service provider is giving you a slow DNS, going to a faster one uh, can really make a difference. Now, it won't give you a faster download speed. It just means that you'll you'll activate the image faster because you'll have the correct address quicker. Now, what you want to do is first of all bench benchmark your your DNS, your domain name server so there's a there's a very nice um, nice program out there's an open source utility called name bench namebench because you're benchmarking the domain name service they call it NameBench. so you can go and, and Google has it on their site I went to the Google site I, I, there's a there then you can just uh, you can just search for NameBench. you can google it and you'll you'll come to it so I downloaded the Windows version and I scanned my my system because I said, well, you know I've never really analyzed, because I've, I've got Fios, I've never really analyzed my DNS. So I thought, okay, I, I, think I'll, I think I'll just use this question as, you know, do a little research on my own system. So I downloaded NameBench, and I ran it. It took about five minutes. It delayed the whole show prep this morning. I had to wait like five or ten minutes for this thing to scan. Huh. It scanned 4,500 DNSs. Wow. And then, and it told me what my fastest DNS would be. And, and you know, I was shocked that the Fios DNS was faster than any of the other ones that I had the fastest one I was really quite surprised it was twice as fast as the Google DNS which everybody says that that's a, that, that's one that, that they share so I was quite happy with my Fios result they said I have the fastest DNS that's available but you can check that and then what you do is that if you want if 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 you run that name, um, name bench, and it'll tells you; it tell you the IP address of the domain name system, which is faster than yours, if there is one. And then you can simply go into your router, and you can change the address of your DNS, your domain name system, and it will point it to that faster DNS. And there are a lot of domain name servers that are free. Google, Google's got one. There, there are other ones. So it's really a reasonably good question. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, really, because you're really not changing your download speed, just your lookup time. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at strafter.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
1: It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and 104.5 FM in Loudoun County. On the web at uh, federalnewsnetwork.com, and you can find out more about the programs. Stratford University by going to stratford.edu.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers.
1: More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
0: I'm here. I'm here. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for
1: Profiles
3: in IoT. How did we lose
1: that?
2: Yes, today we're going to feature Bill Wynn. Now, Bill Wynn is a Vietnamese American technology serial entrepreneur. He was born in 1971 in the Houston, Houston, Texas area, and he was the son of Vietnamese immigrants. Now, he consistently disappointed his parents. You know, they they said Bill. Actually, they didn't call him Bill. He got that nickname later on. I'll tell you. Yes. I'll, uh-huh. I'll tell you about his real name in a minute. He. They said, Bill, you know, we really want you to get a better. We want you to get all A's. We want you to, we want to be proud of you. But he just got mediocre grades in school. He was always kind of goofing off. In fact, his GPA senior year was only 1.4, which means that he, he got half D's and, yes. and half C's. It's pretty good. Now, at, D, at 16, at 16, he moved out of his parents' house to sell cars. He just, he just couldn't take all this grade pressure. Um, and, and you know, he was always kind of an entrepreneur. You know, you know, how some guys will mow grass to, to make money. Mm-hmm. What he did, he took his parents' lawnmower and he rented it out to the, to the guys in the neighborhood and he would get a piece of the, uh, of, of what they would earn, a piece of the action just by renting out the lawnmower. So he actually <laughs> didn't do any work. He just, he just basically leveraged his parents' lawnmower. And made money that way. Uh-huh. Now he, you know, he later took classes at the Houston Baptist University there in uh, Houston, but as you'd expect, he really didn't graduate. Now his first name is not really Bill; it's VU, uh-huh. VU, and um, it's uh, now. What happened was he he, had, he back when he was high school his his girlfriend's mom when he. First, when she first introduced him, she misunderstood it, and she, th- she thought that, that his name was Bill. Now, VU does not really sound like Bill to me, but she must have had some kind of hearing problem, <laughs> so then she called him Bill, and, and she just called him Bill, and, and he says, well, okay, then the Whatever. name stuck. That's the name stuck, so th- so then he just went from Bill after that point, because I think he decided VU was just hard to say because mm-hmm. it's vu, and so people don't know whether it's yeah, vu it or vu. Yeah, vu, but it's vu, and so and so the name stuck. So just he just stuck with Bill Wynn. Now he he was really interested in business from the beginning. So I mean, in, in as a teenager, he he became head of business development project management for the forefront group. That was kind of an it it startup down there in Houston. It was founded in 1992. And they had their IPO in 1995. After after the IPO uh, was taken, he, he made a few bucks there, and then he then he moved on. Then he served as VP of products for Freeloader. That was another that was another company. It was uh, started in 1995 and it was sold in 1996. So he made a few few bucks there. Then he hit his big uh, his big hit in 1998. He launched an email technology company called OneBox. In 1998, get this in 1999, one year later, it was acquired for $850 million by phone.com. Now phone.com is now open wave, and they, they make, you know, they make browsers for, they, they, they basically do all, they, they do technology for, for mobile phones, in, including browsers. But see, that was 1999. That was just before the dot-com crash Mm -hmm. in 2000, okay? Now, after he got out of, uh, you know, after they sold, um, you know, one box for $150 Now, he had VCs in that, so he he didn't make all that money himself, but he, he made a fair amount of money. In May of 2000, he started, he founded a company called Seven Networks, which was a wireless email firm. I mean, it was sort of a, Similar, he was still in the email business, but this focused on wireless. And um, he built that up to 1.4 billion users. But, but actually, in 2005, he just resigned as CEO. He was co-CEO of that when he started in 2000 with, with VC money. He stuck with it for five years, and, and he, just, he just decided just to move on. So he just resigned. Now, he quit seven the day after his wife adopted a baby boy from ohio and then he decided to take a year off so he began a year off where he was not building any company just staying at home they i think with the money that he made from uh, one box this was yeah 2000 he um in 2001 he he bought 21 acres in maui and he built a house out there in Maui, and he had to go through a lot of work to get the zoning adjusted. So he was actually taking off to build this house. But then he had some friends. He had some friends who were in a rock band, the Fountains of Wayne.
1: Fountains of Wayne.
2: Have you ever heard that rock band? I've the heard of that rock band. Wayne. In
1: fact, when you're finished, because I want to blow up your, um, okay. um, your train of thought, we'll, we'll, I'll tell you about – and they're in the news recently – So, uh, yeah, so I will uh, tell you a little bit about Fountains of Wayne when you're finished.
2: We'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. So the the Fountains of Wayne guys, they said, look, look, Bill, (laughs) they called him Bill too, by Uh the way, do not have your son grow up thinking that their dad is unemployed. Do something, (laughs) fix the music business. (laughs) So he said, okay. Uh, Oh, by the way, in 2002, by the way, around that same time, he was he was listed on the MIT Technology Review list of the top 100 innovators in the world under the age of 35. It's the TR 100. So that's really quite an honor to be in that uh, technology review list Mm -hmm. in 2002. So then he started uh, a a company, Lala Media, Lala Media in 2005. Uh, in Palo Alto, California. Now this was, um, basically this was around, you remember Napster, which, you know, this download where you, where you could basically download songs and then the record industry basically shut them down mm. because of, of license violations. They, they didn't want people downloading and bootlegging, uh, bootlegging stuff. So he had this other idea. He said, look, somebody goes to the store and they buy a CD. And then they rip off all the songs from the CD because they own it. They're allowed to do that. And then they store those songs on their computer. And then they sell the CD to somebody else. So you see, this is like a workaround to how you can get, get songs because maybe so you buy the CD for $5, you own it, you rip off the songs on the CD, somebody else buys a CD from you for $5 and you ship it to them. And so now, instead of downloading songs, you're basically sending them through the postal service.
1: Kind of like pirating it. In it's a way. pirating
2: the thing. It's, I, mean, that was, I mean, he didn't say that was the purpose, but that's how people... And so there was social media. It's a social media site. People said, hey, I'm looking for this one or that one. And they were, they were selling CDs back and forth. That was sort of the, the main thrust of this thing of, of Lala. And this was also about the same time that um, that Apple was trying to get iTunes started and they wanted to get in the business. So also, Law developed the first free streaming music service. You know, later on, Apple got into a streaming streaming music, uh, as well as a lot of other people, but they developed the first one, free streaming music. So they were kind of moving into the same space that, um, that Steve Jobs wanted to move into with Apple. So Steve Jobs called him up. This was in December 5th, 2009. He called more to his house and he was sitting there with, uh, with Bill. Sounds like Steve a also called a bill. They were sitting down and then Steve said, uh, look, I'm going to give you an offer. <laughs> like I said, a mafia sit down. Yeah. I'm going to give you an offer and you can either take it or leave it, but that's all you're going to get from me. So Bill, so Steve jobs wrote $80 million on a piece of paper and folded it. And gave it to Bill, and they were sitting around the table, you know, drinking green tea, and uh, and he opened up the paper. Eighty million. He took it. So he took the eighty million dollars. Now it also included an additional eighty million dollars in options for the employees of Law Law, uh, in, in order to entice them to stay with uh, with Apple. Now as I said, Lawlaw was moving to the same space as, um, as Steve jobs wanted to move into. So he wanted to get the people the the technical people behind Lawlaw. So in five months, he shut Lawlaw down on May 31st, 2010, he shut them down just five months after he bought them. Now in 2010, uh, uh, Bill was, was on the world economic forums, young global leader list in 2010, another big honor that he had there. Then this is where the downfall began for Bill. And I'm going to explain his slow, slow fall from grace. You see, he had been in the build-up to the dot com. He basically got used to, you know, what, what they call you, you when you start a, when you have a startup, you, you can either be in the in the fat mode or the lean mode. So if you're in the fat mode, it means you get lots of money and you just burn a lot of money. And you just hope that your team is going to be smart enough to come up with something fast. If you're in the lean mode, you basically try to ret- and, and and you lose control. You lose control of the company because you sell so much of the company to get the to raise the money. In the lean mode, you basically try to hold on to control of the of the company, and you get as a, a small amount of money as you can, and then you get a proof of concept, and then you let sort of through word of mouth it grow and grow and grow, and then as you Build your product and get more users. You can get more investors, but you but you're not diluted as much. That's the lean mode. So he was used to the fat mode, but Silicon Valley had gone to the lean mode. Mm-hmm. So he started Color. Uh, this was his this is this was his downfall, and he was really out of sync with how Silicon Valley worked at the time. So he went around, and he started Color, and he went around. And he got, because he had had successful companies in the past, a serial entrepreneur, he was able to raise a lot of money. He raised $41 million from VCs before he even had a product and before he even had a single customer. Now, this was his concept. Uh, but it was all, but, but, he, but he rolled it out. It was really backwards because he didn't, he didn't really figure it out. He, his concept was he felt that Facebook had been developed for um, the PC. And then sort of then the mobile phone came along, but Facebook doesn't use any of the GPS data in the mobile phone. It, it really, it's really not mobile phone centric. It's still kind of a PC piece of software that they've, they've just ported to the mobile phone. So he wanted to become the new Facebook. So what color would do is you would log on. You don't even, because you've got a phone number, you don't even have to create a username and password. you just, it just, it's just tied to your phone number. That makes it really easy to set up an account. And as soon as you log on, if anybody who's within 150 feet of you is automatically added to your network, automatically, just through uh, – because they can tell from GPS. And mm-hmm. so you, as soon as you log on, you've got an instant network of anybody within 150 feet. And anybody within 150 feet of those people is on the network. So instantly, <laughs> you're, on, you're on a network of people you don't even know.
1: That's not too good, I don't think.
2: Well, this this was well. This was the idea. This takes advantage of the GPS and the mobility of the phone. It's sort of built on that. Now, now, and he was showing this to his board of trustees. And of course, they would be all in the room together, and they would all log on, create an account, and so immediately they could share with each other. Man, this is great! Look at this. We can share immediately. We don't have to do anything. They they said this thing was great. Well, they launched the thing, but here's what he forgot when. For the first users, there's not going to be anybody 150 feet away from you who's also on the account. So the users logged into this thing, and it was a vacant space. They couldn't link to anybody. It was it was an absolute disastrous launch. They never actually figured it out they didn't think it through what they had what they really needed to do was sit on top of facebook that already had the user base and then use those users to create the dynamically configured network so this thing was a bust it got really low ratings and um, and so bill Wynn doesn't really handle it very well so he just checked out he <laughs> just went you know, he had that house in Maui that he bought in 2001. He just went, he just went to the house in Maui and just stayed there for a year. He, he just left the company, even though he was CEO, he was out in Maui for, for, tw- for two, uh, he was out in Maui, um, after July of 2012 and he was out, out there for about a year. And he, he just, he, he didn't really know how to handle this. And the and sort of the, 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 the chief developers went away And you see, so they never actually built a user base. They had all this press release, talked about all the money they got. It was like glamour and blah, blah, blah. But they never really had a functional product. And it became the joke of Silicon Valley. There were all kinds of memes about, you know, it's not going to work as good as color. It was just, it was a disaster. Now, and his reputation absolutely plummeted. He was sued by employees because a lot of the employees he hired had gone to Apple when they sold Lawlaw, and they had these stock options. They gave up the stock op- options to come with color. So they lost millions of dollars in stock options. And then he also was, you know, the investors, people were suing him. They said he misled them. And so it was really a disaster. Now, beca- and it basically, here's a case where a guy just had the wrong style of operating, mm-hmm. And he never knew how to operate lean with a small team then that could pivot quickly. He just knew how to throw, throw a lot of money at an expensive team, and then he would let the expensive team figure out some really good idea. That's all he ever knew how to do. So what people, had, what people said about him that was kind of interesting, they said he's a guy that knows how to take off from the, from the airport. He can take the new venture. He can, he can launch it by raising money. When you got something that's worth selling, he knows how to sell it. So he knows how to take off and land, but he doesn't know how to fly in between the endpoints.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> a problem.
2: It's a problem. And so, uh, you know, he uh, – he, he. so after 2013 oh, – then eventually, Apple bought the remnants of color. I mean, I think most of the VCs, most of put in $41 million. They lost the bulk of their money, but, with, but there was some – Residual intellectual property there that Apple bought, and then Apple brought back all the people who had who had bailed to go with Color, brought them all back. So Apple basically bought what was left over at Color, and brought all the people back again. And uh, Bill Wynn, uh really, there's not much about him since 2013. He just sort of went out of favor, and and that was the the end of his run. But he was a serial entrepreneur that depending on whose numbers you believe started between seven or eight companies. And some of them made, did make a lot of money, but he just sort of became antiquated in the style of Silicon Valley. So there you go. Everything you'd want to know about Bill Wynn, that's not his real name. Nope. His real name is VU Wynn and, um, you know, named by his, uh, the mother of his girlfriend and, um, all you'd want to know about him and, and what to avoid if you're going to start some company out there in Silicon Valley?
1: So we mentioned Fountains of Wayne, and I'm playing little Fountains of Wayne behind us now. Where do you think the name Fountains of Wayne that Rock Crew came from?
2: I don't have any idea. Wayne, Wayne, Indiana.
1: No, it came. <laughs> it, you're close. It came from a lawn and garden store in Wayne, New Jersey. The band was a New oh. York, New Jersey band, and uh, I kind of stumbled upon this because this lawn and garden shop was uh, shown in my favorite TV show, The Sopranos. So I looked it up. Fountains of Wayne turns out it's a rock group but they took the the band took their name from the um, Lawn and Garden store the store closed in 2009 and unfortunately noteworthy one of the band members Adam Slushinger died of uh, coronavirus April 1st of
2: oh,
0: this year
1: Oh my god yeah so that's uh, it, it, you know it's, it it touches everybody so this is yeah. this is their biggest hit Uh, Stacy's mom that we're playing we're taking a break here this is Tech Talk Radio heard on Federal News Network 1500 AM 103.5 FM 103.9 FM HD2 and on the web at stratford.edu
0: If it's technology it's Tech Talk Radio IT trends, software, the internet and IT careers more of Tech
1: Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Shirts.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you. I love this virtual crowd. They are really into it.
1: It's great because we don't have to clean up after them.
2: Yeah, no, it really, it really is convenient. Of course, mm-hmm. this is not merely a radio show. This no. is a classroom with airwaves. And we have to do an assessment to see whether... Our class is learning anything during the show. Mm-hmm. Course, earlier in the show, I talked about Bill Wynn. He's a serial um, entrepreneur out in Silicon Valley. He started seven or eight companies and finally flamed out around 2013. But Bill was not his real name. What was Bill Wynn's real first name?
3: If you know the answer to today's question, well, you know what to do. Pick up the phone, give us a call. Dial in from East of the Rockies, 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Platt, Virginia. It's 877-936-9333. If you're dialing from Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may reach us on the international line. 877 936 Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Juris.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Let's talk about the idea of the week now. Oh, yes. This is iPhone face ID with a face mask. Now, the problem is the CDC now recommends that people put on a face mask uh, whenever they or or covering their mouth and their nose whenever they go outside or whenever they go shopping. Well, well, with face ID, you know, you turn it around. It's not going to recognize it. And if you try to and if you try to put on your mask and try to put an alternate face ID, you get a you get a a, a pop up that says Face obstructed. It won't do a face ID with you, if you cover the lower half of your face. Well, some researchers have figured this out, figured out what to do. It turns out that everything does not have to be fully uh, visible. So they took a face mask and they folded it in half, and then they covered half their nose, They went and they covered half their mouth. So they just covered half of their face with the face mask, and the other half was open. This allowed the Apple ID system to work. And they would then create an alternate appearance with half a mask. And you can simply go to, if you want to do that, you just go to settings, then you go to face ID and passcode, and then click set up an alternate appearance and do that with half a mask. And it turns out if you get an alternate appearance with half a mask, it will recognize you with a full mask. And that is the idea of the week. Excellent.
1: We don't have a winner yet, but I think we are about to have one. So continue on with your next item, okay. please.
2: Now, the website of the week, whatismybrowser.com. I'm going to recommend you go to this thing. You, you go to whatismybrowser.com with your browser, and it will tell you whether your browser is up to date. And I, I think it's really worthwhile doing it. I found I've got three browsers on my laptop, two needed to be updated. I went there this morning. So just go to whatismybrowser.com. And it will tell you immediately is the browser browser up to date, and you and it will tell you exactly how to update it with just a couple of clicks. It's really convenient, and you can also see how much information they have about you. They they, they you know there's a lot of information that's out there on them that, that tell you exactly how your machine's configured and everything they can tell about you. So that's the website of the week. whatismybrowser.com. dot com.
1: All right, we got a contestant who'd like to play the game. Let okay. us go to uh, line number two. Let's see here. This is um, Mitchell calling us from Rockville. Mitchell, good morning. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing well. Enjoying the show.
1: Very good, thank you, sir. Very good, Doc. Early
2: question, in the please. show, I talked about Bill. Bill Wynn, of course, he's the serial entrepreneur from Silicon Valley. But Bill's not his real first name. What is his real first name? Uh, Vu. That is correct. There we
1: go. Excellent. Thank you very and, much. And, and
2: uh, I, I, I would just, I would just, uh, I would just suggest. That even though he did have some success, maybe if he kept his real name, things wouldn't have gone south. You might be right about that. That's true. Yeah, I'm I'm quite sure his parents would agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Mitchell, thanks for checking in. Thanks yeah, for finding
0: in. You didn't say anything about what they think of them now, but—
1: uh,
3: right.
2: We'll have to check that out.
1: Hang on a second. We're sending you back to Andrew. He's going to take your information, and we will uh, send the prize out to you. Doc, if you would, let's continue now,
2: on now. the idea of the week, this is what Jim has been waiting for, the smart toilet <laughs> with butt, with butt recognition. Now, Stanford researchers have developed butt recognition technology. The project mm-hmm. is led by Dr. Sanjeev Gambhir. He's an MD and a PhD. Now, they're developing a toilet that rec- that recognizes your exact unique butt. It basically <laughs> it actually it actually <laughs> and it and it and it and because what it's doing, this toilet monitors health markers so what it is if you're you're doing your business it actually makes measurements to look for cancer and other things automatically and so and actually and so what it is is that and so the idea is that you want to sit down on this toilet and then this thing will will actually read what he calls the anus signature and it will actually—and that's the polar opposite of the facial recognition yeah, technology.
1: It would—180 in, in t- degrees, indeed.
2: And Dr. Gambir—and listen, I have never known this. He says your anal print is unique. I, I had no idea.
1: I had no idea.
2: Now, this toilet's fitted with technology to detect a range of disease markers in stools and in urine, including some cancers as well as colon rectal cancer or u- u- urologic cancers. And, and so what they want to do is if, if they didn't have— anal recognition, you'd have to log onto the toilet before using it. You see, you'd have to log into it to use it. Now, <laughs>
1: sometimes uh, there's just is in time for that.
2: There's just no time. It's, <laughs> you, just, you just pop down on the toilet, boom, it recognizes you right away. Now, the thing is, you've got to get used to having a camera down there. And, you know, but um, but once you get used to that, it seems, it seems actually like not a bad idea because they're saying a lot of these cancer markers, Ah, uh, these are cancers that people don't know they have. yeah, and by just doing a regular check on it in your stool and your urine, you 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 could get an early detection of cancer. Well, so while it actually is kind of funny in a sense, it it's, actually it's a it's really good idea. Stuff.
1: I wonder if it would uh, detect diabetic uh, situations too, since I mean, that would that would make sense.
2: That would make sense. i I don't know what else it can do. all i i I just, uh, so this is uh, this is really a very yeah. interesting smart toilet with butt recognition. You know, Doc, I'm
1: wondering if <laughs> if smart toilet talked, what would it sound like? Hmm, let me think about Good that. Good morning,
3: a Rick. Seems like someone had an extra helping of compound chicken last night.
2: Don't forget <laughs> the flush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am thinking I, I'm thinking that the, that the toilet probably is going to talk too.
1: it probably, or maybe there's a printout or I don't know. But this reminds get- me of something else that I saw while being quarantined yesterday. There is something. Speaking of litter box, you know uh, this sort of thing. There's something called the litter robot for your cat.
2: Oh, another anyway. high tech item. Do you you
1: want to hear what the litter robot's yeah. all about?
2: Yeah, let's let's hear well, this litter this. robot. Do you
1: smell that?
3: That's cat. <laughs> And it is all over your house. <laughs> and if you're still scooping one of those traditional dirty litter boxes where your cat has to step on poop to go poop, well that's like you being forced to use that unbearably disgusting truck stop restroom off of exit 129.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, I can imagine I that. Know.
1: But this this litter robot. Meet
3: litter robot. The highest-rated self-cleaning automatic litter box in the self-cleaning. world. Self-cleaning. It does wow. all the dirty work for you.
1: It just you know sifts it right about. on out, and uh, there you go. And it just, there's it, fresh litter the whole time. Guess how much Litter Robot costs?
2: I would say $99.
1: Oh, you're way off. 500 bucks.
2: Oh, 500.
1: my goodness. $500. I wonder how much the smart toilet costs.
2: I don't have any. But can you imagine the guys doing research on butt recognition? <laughs> how he gets people to, uh, you know, to, uh, to volunteer for that research project.
1: Uh, no, thanks.
2: No, I don't think so. Let's move I don't along, think so. shall
1: we? I'm going to do a little three, research here. While you 3D. T-
2: Let's talk about 3D printers for face shields. As soon as this virus began overwhelming hospitals, people started mobilizing on the internet to help get personal protection equipment. They call PPE for our healthcare workers. Sewing patterns emerged where people were started sewing masks that they were going to send to the hospitals. And then, STL files began being developed for face shields. Now an STL file is a file that you send to a 3D printer. Now it stands for Standard Tessellation Language. Do you know what tessellation is, Jim? I do not, but you're going to tell me, aren't you? It's when you take a surface and you break it into, uh, uh, you, you basically break it into tiles that might be geometrically, ge- geometric objects like hexagons, pentagons. And you basically create these tiles so that they all fit together, these polygons, so they all fit together and form kind of a smooth surface. And that's called tessellation, and that's how you describe a surface. For 3D for 3D mapping, so the, they have these STL files for face shields, and it turns out there is this company called Masks for Docs Foundation, and now they already have 4,000 volunteers operating on six continents who are making face shields with 3D printers. Now Masks for Docs, they'll connect you with the resources, they'll show you where you can get the uh, get the STL files for the masks. They'll show you where you can buy the materials for the face shields. Now, already, they have 3D-printed personal protective gear. That's Files have been released. They've been remixed. They've been, re- been refined by a giant network of online collaborators. And they've got schematics for the, for the popular face shield components. Uh, and now it's in its third iteration. And the new and improved iteration uses less material, prints faster, and can be manufactured in stacks of four at a time. Now you can if you wanna if you've got a 3D printer and you'd like to participate in this project, you can go to masks4docs.com and you can do that right away. Now, this is what I, I gotta talk about, this oleophobic. Mm-hmm. The oleophobe your your cell phone has an oleophobic layer on it. That mean it, it that means it resists oil from your fingers. Now this was pioneered by Apple in the iPhone 3S. I didn't even know about it till recently. And that oleophobic is why that surface feels so good on your cell phone. So you can actually take care of it with uh, only with alcohol, 70% isopropyl alcohol. And you can actually, if you want, you can, you can go to the uh, Amazon and you can get Fuzo by Crystal Armor. And you can renew your oleophobic layer on your cell phone without a problem. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at Talk at And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Check us out on the web and say that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.